Hello and welcome to another financially insolvent episode of Saved by the 90s. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today is a man who always meets or exceeds box office expectations, Ken Bakley. Hey, Ken. Hello. Summer is upon us once again, and with that comes the big blockbusters. But with big movies, there's the opportunity for big bombs. And this month, we're going to be taking a look at a set of movies that didn't quite meet their expectations. Get ready for some disappointment. This is Saved by the 90s. Hey, moms. One little pack of Kool-Aid is a whole lot of fun. 15 flavors like Chocoberry Finn. There's vitamin C. And all those fruity flavors leave everybody smiling. Kool-Aid soft drink mix. You really get your quarter's worth. Our first title this month meant to showcase a satirical take on the action genre, but despite featuring one of the biggest action heroes of the time, it was a commercial and critical failure. Released on June 18th, 1993, this is Last Action Hero. You don't know what Columbia Pictures presents Arnold Schwarzenegger. To be or not to be. Last action hero. Not to be. Rated PG-13. Advanced screening Thursday starts Friday everywhere. Directed by John McTiernan, Last Action Hero stars Austin O'Brien as Danny, a kid obsessed with a fictional movie character action hero Jack Slater, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. When a magical ticket transports him into Jack's latest adventure, Danny finds himself in a world where movie magic and reality collide. Now it's up to Danny to save the life of his hero and new friend. Ken, first question. Have you seen Last Action Hero before? Uh, no, I vaguely knew of it. and But the only thing I knew of it was that it was this movie that a lot of people talked about a lot and I could never exactly figure out what it was about from people talking about it because I guess, I don't know, people didn't talk about it in enough context or I wasn't paying enough attention. So you catch on pretty quickly to what this movie is about and yet at the same time it seems to be doing so much and so little with it. Yeah, this is an interesting one. Like My my first criticism with last action hero is that length why is it two hours and 10 minutes long this movie just goes so on long. it goes on and on and on and even when you think it's over no it's not over there's still more last action hero to be had when i watched this i got to a certain point where i thought it was getting late and i was tired and i was like okay i can finish this in the morning what there's maybe 20 minutes left i turns out i was only halfway through it i had to watch the entire next hour of it the next day <laughs> hmm. yeah it just it really overstays its welcome but as a kid I, I i didn't see this in the theater i remember when it came out i was i really really wanted to see it but for whatever reason i didn't go i couldn't get anybody to take me or whatever and um, I saw it when it came out on video and I really liked it as a kid. And going back to it now, this, this episode, we're talking about bombs. This is a movie that did not do very well. It currently has a 36% on Rotten Tomatoes. Critics didn't like it. It didn't make any money. And I think that this is a movie that sort of has a new life now like when you watch it now i feel like a lot of the themes 
that that it tends to have are different than maybe when it came out. Yeah, yeah. It it very it very much feels like it's sort of the this like last vestige of like classic movie going. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, so a lot of the movie takes place in New York. So it before before it goes to LA where like the fictional world takes place before he goes into the movie. It takes place in New York at this old uh, rundown theater, which is actually, it was shot in the Orpheum in LA, <laughs> but it takes place in New York. And it, it kind of, it, it's all about, you know, the, the movie theater, the, the theater experience dying out. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, when this movie was made in 1993, Times Square still had, like 12 movie theaters, you know, back to back to back. So I think for me watching this movie, it was like sort of, it was like the swan song of, uh, of classic movie theaters. Yeah. It definitely has very much like an end of history kind of feel to it, especially just the way that it plays up the idea that something is ending and you need this, literal like transition to another dimension to bring it back yeah like like it really does play into not only the decline of classic movie going but it's set in this very like new york that really digs into the perceptions and all of the like grime of early Mm -hmm. 90s new york just the idea that there is that it feels like the end of a world that was so ubiquitous uh and the only way to save it is to like fully embrace this strange nostalgic vision of like old movie going tropes, but at the same time still trying to be very hip about contemporary movie trends and names. So it does strike this very odd balance. Sometimes it hits it, but it usually not. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is that it is sort of satirizing action movies with once he goes into the, the action movie world, you have all the of these tropes that are, you know, poked fun at. And some of some of it works as some a lot of it doesn't necessarily doesn't. work. The also there's like the the rules for this movie world are like not clearly defined at all so it makes everything very they they just play fast and loose with how this works because when he first goes into the movie world you're like oh he's in the movie like he's in that movie but it's not but not really he's like in all movies because mm-hmm. you have like Danny DeVito voicing this like cartoon i think it was Danny DeVito it sounded like Danny DeVito he was like this cartoon cat character in there just randomly. And then you, and then you have like, uh, these like sci-fi looking people and costumes and stuff. And you're like, wait, is he in that movie or is he in just like all movies in general? Like what? Think of the implication of every movie taking place in the same world. (laughs) Yeah. It's very strange. I think that there's there there's a kernel of a good idea here. I mean this this is a, a movie that's that's very meta and this was this came out during a time where that really wasn't happening a whole lot uh in movies. I mean certainly it's happened before, you know, but wasn't wasn't ubiquitous at that time. So I think that there's a lot of good ideas at play here. It's just that 
everything was just so messy and convoluted and there was just so much going on there was too much plot that's happening here in this movie yeah it definitely feels like a movie that went through way too many iterations of it just during pre-production like there were 12 different approaches to this concept and none of them really had very much to do each other but they all wound up in the final product in some form one of one of the first things i noticed and i don't understand they never explained it but the kid he has these cuts all over his hands like his hands are so jacked up at the beginning of the movie i don't know if you noticed that sort of like what was going on with his hands why were his hands so jacked up he had like cuts all over his knuckles and stuff and i don't know if it was like makeup or if his hands were really messed up but they never explained that so i don't know if there was maybe a scene that got cut where he got in a fight or something it feels like there were so many scenes that weren't in this movie and yet at the same time it feels like it never ends yeah the kid seems like a borderline psychopath they took his love for action movies to uh, a, a psychotic level mm-hmm. where he's just, he seems so obsessed with violence. Like, I don't know if that was some kind of statement that they were trying to make where it's like this kid who's obsessed with movie violence. And then when it happens in real life, he's uh, affected by it. I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure what that was all about. And I feel like a lot of the jokes were maybe too adult for kids, but then a lot of the jokes were very childish in their delivery. So I'm not sure what the audience was. Yeah. That's definitely a recurring problem you see in a lot of movies like this, where there's just no quality control on what kind of jokes you have. Yeah. It's, it's a PG 13 movie and you know, it's not like horrendous or anything, but a lot of it feels way too juvenile for teenagers to be into. But then on the other hand, like little kids won't get the joke where Arnold is like talking about acne and shaving and premature ejaculation, <laughs> which was they went back came to out that of nowhere. Way yeah. too many times. Yeah. And they, it was a joke that they revisited. As if I wasn't uncomfortable enough the first time it happened. It comes yeah. back at the end. <laughs> oh my god! Just, just so I could just just so I could feel terrible all over again. Yeah, it's so like inappropriate. It's just it's just out of nowhere. It's there's there's no way that that line feels like it's an okay thing to say. Yeah, I, it's uh, it it feels very jarring. Mm-hmm. Like right when he says it, you're just like oh. Like, oh man. How old is this kid supposed to be? He's like, I don't know, 12, 13. Yeah, maybe? it's it's not okay. It's 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 just so not okay. No, especially when it's like this random adult, this random stranger who's in his 40s that's driving this kid around telling him this. Uh it's it's hmm. it's a very very yeah. odd movie. So then uh, he's inside the movie, the kids inside the movie for a good chunk of the runtime. And then eventually the, the main bad guy, the guy from, uh, the guy from game of Thrones, uh, Charles dance, he ends up jumping out of the movie into the real world. So they have to follow him. And then, uh, the, I don't know. At that point, I feel like 
things start to slow down. You you have this big uh, this big scene that's that's at the premiere of the latest movie with uh, what's his name? I already forgot his name. Jack Slater. Jack Slater. Jack Slater. Yeah, you have the premiere of the latest Jack Slater movie. It's in New York City, and there's like all of these. It's a veritable who's who of mm-hmm. '90s Hollywood. In this scene, you have like Jim Belushi, Van Damme's in there, MC Hammer, uh, Tom Noonan, who plays one of the Jack Slater villains in a previous title, Jack Slater 3. Like he's there playing himself. And then, of course, you have Arnold playing himself along with his wife, Maria Shriver. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of a fun. Yeah scene that that whole sequence i thought was fun when the character jack slater met the actor arnold schwarzenegger yeah yeah it's 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 a fun idea that it just sort of they just don't know what to do with it because i mean it feels like what could you do with it and then so interestingly that theater that that was filmed in was that was in new york um but it was closed in 1998 that was in times square that was i can't remember the name is that i think it was called the rko twin theaters or something like that there was it was two of them it was a two screen theater and they closed it down in 98 and now it's the location of good morning america Hmm. so it it upsets me to see theaters closing like that Mm -hmm. and then uh, so the bad guy charles dance's plan is to bring bring all of these movie characters out of their movie and team up with them to, I don't know what, I don't, I don't know what his ulti- what his end game is here. Mm-hmm. Like take over the world. <laughs> like it's, what, not, it's not certain. Cause he's like this kind of, I mean the whole movie, he's like a, he's like a thug, right? He's like the, he's like the number, he's like the right hand man of this mob boss. But then all of a sudden he kills the mob boss. And then now he's like, Wants to take over the the city. I don't. Know, his it his feels motivations. Like someone had a really overly elaborate interpretation of what happens after the last scene of Blazing Saddles. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So I was thinking because first of all, this is like an hour and a half in at least, and you're just like, oh my god, he's gonna like get all these people out of these movies. He only ends up pulling out two people he pulls out tom noonan's character from jack slate three and that leads to this that that leads to the whole um the finale scene at the premiere and i was just thinking it's such a wasted opportunity because the other character they pull out is uh ian mckellen who's playing death from the seventh seal <laughs> and what <laughs> like first of all i think it's uh, props to them for using that movie uh, what a perfect uh, uh, and completely meaningless cameo. Yeah, but but they could have pulled out so much more. I mean, there was one scene where he's looking at the newspaper and they like zoom in on an ad for Bram Stoker's Dracula, which was playing in theaters during that time. And I'm like, oh, they're gonna they're gonna pull out Dracula too. I mean, it was just seemed like a wasted opportunity. And and maybe in the original like five and a half hour cut of this movie that happened, but you mean that's not what I saw? <laughs> yeah, I just have a feeling the way that they hinted at those uh, like pulling those characters out of their movies that 
that was something at, at, at one time was in the works to do that with more people. I would have to imagine it was because the one thing I know about the production of this movie is that they really rushed it. Like it, they finished shooting at something like only a couple months before it was actually released. So they were, there was some ridiculous schedule on this. Yeah. It had an $85 million budget. It only grossed 50 million in the U S mm-hmm. so yeah, a bit of a loss. It, I mean, it, it did make up for that worldwide. It got uh, 137 million worldwide there was a lot of merchandise with this too there were action figures and things but it still wasn't anywhere close to the like the heights of uh a lot of arnold's other movies yeah i'm imagining that the promotion for this movie must have been both really really ubiquitous and also how do you promote this movie yeah like that's the thing that kept going through my head is obviously this is a movie that they would want to give a lot of consideration to in marketing, but it feels like a really hard movie to sell to anyone because I'm still not sure who the target audience is. Right. I mean, like, it seems like it's for kids, but mm, I don't know. It's a, it's a little bit, maybe a little bit too adult for them too. They made a video game out of it too. Like there, there was, so there was a lot of merchandise. Mm-hmm. I remember the video game was really bad. So yeah, in the end, last action hero, not, not great. I, I will say that it watching it now, I think that I enjoyed it more just on like, like an, uh, like an anthropological level, like mm-hmm. just to see these old theaters and like sort of how things were, especially in, in New York. So I'm kind of obsessed with like New York movie culture. Mm-hmm. So in, in that regard, I, I liked it, but the movie itself, I think if they just trimmed it down, I mean, if the, I think if they got it down to like an hour and 20, an hour and 30, I think it would have been a lot more oh, yeah. palpable. But as it, it stands, it's just way too, it's too much going on in this damn movie. It feels like a movie where they definitely did not give enough time in that ridiculously sped up schedule to think about cutting it down to a reasonable time. Yeah, because, I mean, you're seeing ads for... Bram Stoker's Dracula all over the place. Mm -hmm. And that movie came out in November of 92. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the schedule must've been really tight on this. Since this came out in June of 93. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not only is it a movie that's long, that doesn't feel like it was edited down. It feels like it was, it's still missing structure. Yeah. Like one reason it feels so long is that you're never quite sure when the act breaks are really happening, when things are changing, because there's a story arc that they want to have that's very clearly you're trying to delineate. And at the same time, it just feels like things are happening until they stop. Yeah. And, and, and also there, there are like, you think when, because so much of it takes place in LA, like inside the movie. And then all of a sudden you're back in New York and you're thinking, oh, well, they're wrapping it up. But no, there's like so much time is spent back in New York that you're just like, oh, my God. And then like even after like the the fight against Tom Noonan's character, like that is so long that it almost feels like he's the final guy. And then you have Charles Dance and then you have the whole thing with death, that, that whole scene. And it's just like keeps going and going anyway it's, it's a journey our second feature this month and the only film we'll be discussing that doesn't feature an actual bomb was regarded as a pale imitation of crocodile dundee 
featuring two cowboys traveling to the big city looking for their missing friend, losing nearly 15 million at the box office and saddled with a 15% on Rotten Tomatoes. This is the Cowboy Way. They're in New York to save a friend, the Cowboy Way. Woody Harrelson loops it up, says Rolling Stone. Ow! And Keeper Sutherland ropes you in. Damn, that looks like it hurts. The Cowboy Way, rated PG-13. Now playing. Two championship rodeo partners, played by Kiefer Sutherland and Woody Harrelson, travel to New York to find their missing friend, Nacho Salazar, who's gone missing there. Adam, why don't you start us off with your initial thoughts on The Cowboy Way? What's your history with this film? So my history is that I've never seen it mm-hmm. before. I my, my grandma, for some reason, loved this movie. I don't know why. She, she loves it. She just loves this movie. I remember when it, when it came out, she was just all about the cowboy way. But uh, that that's really the extent of my history with it. I will say that in that little TV spot that we just played, that was a that was a Peter Travers quote. If you couldn't, <laughs> if you couldn't put that piece that what together, what else from, could it be? Who the, else would have said that? the words? <laughs> you know, I I went into this really expecting to hate it because it just looks so hokey and bad and it is it's it's pretty cheesy but i didn't hate it i i didn't love it uh but i thought that there were there were some fun moments again i feel like this this is a movie that overstays its welcome as well Mm -hmm. (laughs) just like uh last action hero although not nearly as egregious Mm -hmm. but in the end i was just like meh you know i was like meh it's not a movie that left any impact on me like it's a movie that i could never come close to saying that i liked but that's not for there being anything egregiously wrong with it it just is like it's the epitome of a movie where looking at the poster gives you the exact same feeling of having watched the movie except you saved two hours yeah i mean the synopsis says pretty much exactly what it is. You got these two cowboys who were, I guess, best friends at one point, but then they had a falling out after some stuff went down in, in Vegas or something. Uh, Woody Harrelson's character didn't show up for this like world championship rodeo thing. And they, uh, they, they have a mutual friend and he's missing. So they go to New York They go to the big city. And it's a, it's a fish out of water story. It's an action comedy. And I think that some of the comedy is some of it works, but most of it doesn't. And I don't know. I think that, that, uh, Woody Harrelson and Kiefer Sutherland have a good rapport with one another. Mm-hmm. Like they feel like they could be friends. You know, Woody Harrelson's the wild card. He's, he's the wild one. And then Kiefer's the more kind of reserved, polite cowboy. Well, he is <laughs> very good president Tom Kirkman these days. Yeah, there you go. He's not that Jack Bauer guy anymore. He's the very good president from a very bad situation on the ABC, now Netflix original series, Designated Survivor. Oh, it's on Netflix now? Huh. Yeah. I didn't know it switched over to them. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get into that show. Anyway. I couldn't either. I was like, I got like a, some episodes in. I know someone who got a little bit further in than I did, but it just kind of is because it's a show where the concept is so limited. Like you can't make a weekly series out of that because eventually it just kind of turns into 
West Wing, but more about <laughs> counterterrorism just because of its setup. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I watched like the first maybe two or three and I just I got most me. of the way through the first season. I like Kiefer Sutherland a lot and I like Woody Harrelson a lot. I was a I'm a big fan of both of their theirs actually. Dylan McDermott plays the bad guy. Um there's just not a lot to be said about this movie. It it, it just sort of is. Mm-hmm. It I can see the Crocodile Dundee references. However, it feels way more out of place here because yeah, I get it. These guys are cowboys. They're from New Mexico, but I'm sorry. They're still American citizens. Like they, they still, I don't think that they would be that out of place in New York city. It seems to accidentally add in the concept that they've also time traveled. Yeah. Like they're, they have no idea what's going on here. Like they don't know how to talk to people. They don't know. Yeah, they're, they, they're they so from, confused. Yeah, they went from New Mexico in 1994 to New York in 1994. They didn't go from New Mexico in 1894 to New York in 1994. But it, like the movie just has such this, such like a derivative way of treating all of its material. Like everything is so isolated in concept from everything else that it it doesn't agree on the rules of its own universe. Yeah, so they're there looking for their friend, but it's quickly established that their friend's dead. Like, he he died. So the rest of the movie is them looking for revenge. It's It turns into this, like, revenge story about them trying to find who was responsible for their friend's death. And, you know, that leads to some action scenes, and there's this whole, I guess, human trafficking a thing that's going on I, I couldn't really figure out what the uh like what the that whole business was like where they keep was it human trafficking were they keeping these people captive it's or, very unclear what anyone is doing in this movie yeah and like dylan mcdermott tells the guy that he needs five thousand dollars more so the guy goes to give it to him and then he just kills him and it's like, wh- what was the original arrangement and why was there ever like a, a situation where she like, were these coyotes always going to betray them and keep them held captive? Are they being kept held captive? Uh, it, it's, it's very confused as to how these, the, the, the bad guys were operating. If we want to talk about movies where it's entirely unclear what the antagonist is doing, we this movie doesn't hold a candle to speed to cruise control, but we'll get there. <laughs> oh yeah. Yes, we will get there. There's a, you know, because they're, because they're, you see it on the poster, they're cowboys. They're in the big city, but they and get that, to do some of their cowboy stuff. And, so that, you, <laughs> and that super tagline that they've got there, how the East was won. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You get to see him lasso some people. You get to see him some ride some horses through the city. So they're they're bringing their their cowboy way to New York, and they even say the title of the movie at one point. I think it was Woody Harrelson that says says it towards. I the think end. it's in a song too. It's in a song really early on, and I felt like there at that point there should be a rule that you don't say you don't play a song with the name of your movie in it unless it's over the credits otherwise it's just distracting 
uh, I take it you haven't seen the dead don't die yet. I have not. Does that, that is, happen? It's a huge running gag throughout that whole movie. Excellent. I only want movies about their titles. <laughs> now, I don't want to get too much into about that because I am aware from the dark period of my life when I watch CinemaSins, that's also a thing on CinemaSins, but we don't have mm, to talk about that. No, no, no. We're not, Let's never talk about that's that. The, that's the first and last time we were at, will ever mention that mm-hmm, on this that, show. That, that program, which shall not be named. Exactly. Yeah, I don't really have too much else to add. I thought that a lot of the action was fine, if not highly illogical for a lot of it. But I don't know. It, it, it all felt fairly inoffensive. I thought that the gag at the end, the whole Calvin Klein thing was dumb but there was a lot of dumb jokes in this that made no sense at all and were only there to provide humor it was like borderline absurdist comedy in in this because it's like when would he have had the opportunity to do a photo shoot and then have have it developed and turned into a billboard all within like the course of one night yeah it's The time, once again, uh, not only does this movie not understand what year its protagonists are coming from to 1994 New York, it doesn't understand how time passes when it agrees on when and where everyone is. Yeah, it also seems like they get from New Mexico to New York in the course of like five hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they literally drove across the entire country, pretty much. And it just seems like, oh, it's just a... And they had no money either. Like, how did they pay for gas? I mean, I can't even imagine how many tanks of gas that would have cost. And they had no money. Kiefer had to, the only reason that Kiefer Sutherland's character was getting, uh, his, his name's Sonny, by the way. And Woody Harrelson's name's Pepper. The only reason he was getting Pepper along with him was because he apparently had money from this uh, like Bronco riding contest that they showed at the, at the opening of the movie, but he didn't have any money. He had $8. So how'd they pay for gas to get to New York? I feel like it, the most damning criticism we could produce of this movie is that it gives us so little to talk about that. We've gone on sidetracks about like travel times, television programs, completely unrelated to this, except for one of the lead actors being the same. And we were so not engaged with this movie that I used this review to confess about the a terrible YouTube show that I watched when I was 14. That's pretty Yeah, that's the cowboy way. Oh, yeah, in a that's nutshell. the cowboy way. Overall, I don't recommend this one. It's just, it's a big, big pile of nothing for me. Mm-hmm. It just is. Like, you could put it anywhere on anywhere, and it would just, it wouldn't. It would and it wouldn't. It would play. It you would not you would not shut it off in anger at any point, but at the same time, you wouldn't care. Yeah. It's not bad. It just isn't. Exactly. Yeah, Vernie Hudson in there is a police officer too who gives them like way too much credence to just do whatever they want. Oh yeah. It's uh, especially at the end when they team up and like it's just like what? No, that's not how that would work. He is incredibly trusting of them. <laughs> uh, I guess he's, he likes the cut of their jib. Don't touch that dial because Saved by the 90s will be right back. 
Why Massengill? Mother taught me never to compromise my standards. Why Massengill? I know it's gentle. Why Massengill? Trust. Massengill douches. Always first choice. Massengill. Trusted by more women. Using the term bomb when discussing film can carry varied interpretations. It could mean that a movie was a box office failure, was hated by critics, or that it just didn't live up to lofty pre-release expectations. In the case of our next film, a sequel to the eighth highest grossing film of 1994 and the third biggest hostage film ever made, the term bomb refers to all of the above. Released on June 13, 1997, this is Speed 2 Cruise Control. Somebody find the captain! The captain is dead. This summer, there's no changing course. He's coming us right into the island. I am never leaving the house again. No slowing down. Gotta stop the ship! We're getting crashed! And no getting off. Oh, man! Because on June 13th, rush hour hits the water. Cruise control. How do you like your vacation so far? PG 13. Rush hour hits the water June 13. <laughs> I love the. I love the, <laughs> How do you like your vacation so far? <laughs> Sandra Bullock and Jason Patrick star as a young couple whose dream cruise turns to terror when a lunatic computer genius, played by Willem Dafoe, sets a new course for destruction. <laughs> so. <laughs> The first issue that I have here, it says... It's that Willem Dafoe did not win an Oscar for this, which is insane. <laughs> no, he, he definitely didn't. Hmm. This is a whose dream cruise. I, I take a little bit of an issue with that because it, first of all, it seems like there's nothing going on in this relationship. Like, she yeah. doesn't seem like she wants to be in this relationship. When he, like, gave her the, the tickets for the cruise, she seemed so uninterested. She's just like, oh, okay, great. All right. Let's... Yeah, I also like about the the logline there is that it does not identify Sandra Bullock as having any connection to the first Speed film. Yeah, like like it feels like it was d- taken from a logline that was written from a script that once again we talk about this a lot a script that feels like it was not supposed to be a sequel to anything before acts before oh, no. accidentally yeah lightning struck it one day or something. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was going to talk about this uh, later on in this review, but since you brought it up, I, the whole time I was watching this, I was thinking, I'm wondering if this would have worked better had it not been a sequel to Speed. Like Probably if you not. if you took if you took away the like you just had Sandra Bullock as a uh, not the same character, uh, and you just made it its own thing, would it would it work better? Or worse, or maybe the same. Like I, I, I don't know. I think it's just I think something per- to ponder. Perhaps it would have changed people's perception of it at the time. Like it would not have been seen as such a like this movie is a failure because it is so it so sullies the name of this really great movie from a few years prior. But even if you did not know that this movie was supposed to be a sequel to anything else, just watching it, it, it makes it it it's not it like is, it's not like watching it saves it right yeah it, it is uh it is not good from from start to finish this is a a very rough ride and i will say so i've never seen this before this was the first time watch for me and um i remember when this came out nobody thought it was going to be good like everybody was like nope that is not going to work at all 
So people knew, people knew back then that this was a recipe for disaster. And so the movie opens with this like big chase scene and we're, we're given like no context at who Jason Patrick is. And for like the, that whole chase scene, almost the whole chase scene before uh, Sandra Bullock mentions his name, I thought, I was like, is it possible that it's the same, it's Keanu Reeves character and they recast him. And I was like, they wouldn't do that. Surely they wouldn't do that. But then I was like, maybe they did it. Because it seems I like... I honestly wouldn't have been surprised if they did. I mean, it seems very much like they were trying to just... I think maybe in the original script, it probably was uh, Keanu Reeves' character. And they were like, he he didn't want to do it. So they were like, okay, rewrite time. And they just made him Officer Alex Shaw instead of... Uh, I can't remember what Keanu Reeves' name was. In the original, I did watch Jack the something. I watched the original right before this one. Oh, that that that's very painful. I knew I knew right off the bat that it was a recipe for disaster. But it it, it had been many years since I've seen the original Speed, and I really love that movie. And I just wanted to refresh myself in case there were any like little winks and nods or anything in in this one. You know, like to that that referenced back to the original. Besides Sandra Bullock's character, and I knew that uh, I can't remember who plays the the driver who was in both movies. Glenn Plummer. Yeah, maybe because he's in both movies. If I yeah, he's in both movies. Huh? Yeah, he yeah he's the driver in Speed One, who um, he played sort of a comedic relief character where uh, Keanu's character took took his car, and in this he gets his boat stolen yeah i want a movie about that character about how he just has to keep encountering all of this chaos no matter where he goes yeah (laughs) so yeah i watched the original speed first of all i'll say that that movie holds up incredibly well oh it's a masterpiece that that movie is still excellent i think one of the best action movies ever made it's just i think start to finish that movie is just triumphant i love every moment of that movie Mm -hmm. this movie on the other hand (laughs) oh my god from the opening from that opening chase sequence you're just like something's not right here like this something's not quite right this is not on the same level same director too Jan de bont did both movies also as a side note this finishes out my Jan de bont filmography i have now Mm -hmm. seen all of all five of his movies that he directed (laughs) some are better than others (laughs) yeah yeah definitely so it's it's uh it's pretty rough man like Willem Dafoe is the bad guy you know you'd think he would be a suitable you know next bad guy in replacing um you know the wonderful Dennis Hopper in the original but uh his character is just so uh I don't know what's going on with this guy like his motivations, the leech thing, the the funny part about the like the leeches, like they show the leeches and you're just like, what? Like, why does he have jars of leeches? And then they have that scene where he's like putting the leeches all over his body, and they don't explain it till much later in the movie. And you're just like, are we gonna, are we gonna discuss the leeches at some point? I think it's because he was around computers a lot or something. <laughs> he's a he's a computer whiz, big computer whiz guy. So, Did you know that computers give you copper poisoning? 
Apparently, uh, all humans in 2019 now have copper poisoning. Yeah, he was just around too many computers his... alongside the uh, the alongside the extra bone that apparently we have growing out of the back of our neck now from staring down at our phones all the time. Know, or something. Right? Oh my god! Can you believe that story? Apparently, we're, we're all there's growing horns. Some suspect nature to it, but I want to believe it's true. Yeah, of course. So yeah, you have. Uh, Sandra Bullock and uh, Patrick Wilson, or not Patrick Wilson, Jason Patrick going to going on this cruise and they're having a good time. And then Willem Dafoe shows up and just, he t- takes over the boat because it turns out that uh, he designed the software, all the systems that the cruise ship uses. And when he got sick, they fired him. So he's a disgruntled employee and now he wants to take over the ship and I guess run it into the like Harbor. Is that his end game here? I'm not even sure what he's trying to do. It feels like it changes every time they try to give him more exposition. Cause I also didn't understand cause he kills some people and he slowly takes over the ship and then he's like, evacuate the ship get everybody off the ship so they do that but at some point during this evacuation like the um fire doors all close trapping some people inside the ship and i'm just like wait does i thought he told everybody to get off the ship now he's is he trapped is is he doing that or did the ship automatically do that if so that's like a horrible safety system for a cruise ship to like lock it, lock people in during an evacuation. I mean, this is the same uh, cruise ship that their uh, centralized computer system is just typing random sentences into it until something happens. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love, I love that. How this is, this is 1997, and they got like uh, machine learning just totally, totally down, where you can just type, type what you want, and the computer does it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this movie is actually set in 2052. There was a, I think the first time they showed that, it goes time to initiate, and Will Dafoe <laughs> types now, <laughs> and it initiates. <laughs> it's a, it's uh, a great it's a great 90s understanding of computers, as in it feels like it was written by someone who has never used a computer before. Yeah, and he has like five computers. He has like five IBM laptops set up in his room. And the guy that comes in and sees it, and it's like, what are you doing with all those laptops? You couldn't get, you couldn't accomplish your goal with just one of them, you know? And yeah, guess, it's a, a movie that has such a radical misunderstanding of how computers work. It has them doing things that computers now probably still could not do. Yeah, I I also love how, I mean, maybe this was an actual thing on cruise ships back in 1997, although I doubt it. Where you have clay pigeon shooting on the cruise ship, and <laughs> that's how. Uh, Jason Patrick gets a gun because he uses the clay pigeon shotgun. Maybe they had that at some point on cruise ships, but it just seems like there's no way that would ever exist today. I would certainly hope not. (laughs) Stuff starts hitting the fan. People are getting evacuated. Some people are trapped. And of course, Jason Patrick and and, uh, Sandra Bullock have to save the day again. The, the, it's that that this movie exists is kind of inexplicable. Of course, you want to do something with speed because the first one made so much money. But I think I mentioned to you, like, 
perhaps the economy of the late 90s was too good just for largely for Hollywood that you could spend up to $160 million on this movie in a decision that seems relatively unquestioned at the time of production. Yeah. I mean, that is a huge, massive budget. Holy crap. For, for 1997, mm-hmm. 160 million is well over 200 million yeah. uh, adjusted yeah. for inflation. And to increase the the budget of the first film five times over five times over, yeah, and for to be on, one to, of the two stars of it. And to be honest, a lot of the effects work looked pretty bad, and it looks terrible. This is, you know, right around the time when people were starting to use CG and uh, to to like you know accentuate certain things, and it yeah. looks so rough in this. Yeah, the CG like- looks. It's not like $160 million to spend on groundbreaking effects. It's $160 million, and this movie looks terrible. Yeah, it looks very bad. I mean, there's one point towards the end when when the, the ship is out of control, and there's, like, CG water that's, like, flying up everywhere, and it mm-hmm. just looks so rough. <laughs> and then when when it does finally run into the land... It's like this ship is just, I, I don't know what's going on. It's like some yeah. kind of powered hovercraft machine that's just barreling through an entire yeah. town. I think, the, I think <laughs> that almost, that was actually some kind of practical effect. It just seems to be made with materials that don't correspond with what things would actually be made of. Oh, yeah. I mean, to be clear, that that I think that was done practically. But yeah. um, it, it, just, just the amount, how far that ship went into inland was outstanding like how how is that even i mean it put the uh the bus jump in speed one where it, they launched a bus 50 feet uh across the the unfinished part of the highway they made that look like the most realistic thing ever physics wise because i don't understand how that ship could plow through a whole town like that of course that's like the least of this that, movie's that, problems. That is maybe the only realistic looking, the mildly realistic effect in the entire movie in comparison to everything else. One of the things that really bothered me about this movie was the lighting. For the most part, it was super dark, uh, like the whole time, especially anything that was happening inside the ship, like when they're rescuing people and stuff like that. And it was all just like this bog standard. I mean, like we've seen this before, even in 1997 we've seen movies where people need to be rescued from a ship and there's water coming in uh people need to be rescued from a ship and it's during a storm in the ocean like and and nothing there was nothing new or exciting about what was happening and not only was it super dark but a lot of the scenes they had this like it wasn't a strobing effect but it was like a a, like a fade in fade out light that was going and that was like driving me insane because they did it for like at least five minutes straight where this light just would fade in, fade out, fade in, fade out. And it was giving me a headache. I couldn't stand it. (sighs) This movie gave me a headache. (laughs) Yeah. And that especially it's, 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 it's a mess. This, this like, because for all the inexplicable individual scenes in this movie, we're also mentioning those because there's not much to talk about in terms of the overarching plot, because once again, it it's not exactly ever clear what's happening. 
No, I had no idea what was going on. Yeah, I was 20 minutes from the end of it, and I thought, are they ever, are they ever going to... Like, it was the reverse of what happened with Last Action Hero when there was way more in it than I thought there was. There's a point in this movie where I'm like, okay, are we going to get to a point where they explain how we're going to set this up for the ending? And I looked, and there was like 10 minutes left. <laughs> or like whenever it was right before the actual what ending happens with the things crashing into the, the, the yeah. t- port or whatever. Uh, there was a, so the way that Willem Dafoe has his comeuppance is he's escaping on a plane and for some reason he like looks away and he's not watching where he's going and he hits, he skewers the plane on this like other ship and that's, that's it. Like, which makes no sense. Like this guy's computer genius why why is he not paying attention to where he's flying? He's flying a plane. Like I think just by nature you would pay attention to where you're going if you're piloting a plane. It's the copper poisoning. That must be it. It was the copper poisoning that was making him delirious or something. It's and it's going to be one of the uh the side effects of our new um cell phone caused neck bones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, neck we're, we're, we're going to hatch uh elaborate evil plots and then not know uh how to execute the minor details of them i'm looking forward to that mm-hmm. sounds like uh life is going to be very interesting for us in the near future this has I a mean, this that's has one a, way to put it this has a four percent on rotten tomatoes and i lo- and i love that factoid because everybody know- knows where those positive reviews are coming from. It's the Siskel and Ebert review. <laughs> yeah. Where they gave it two thumbs up. Which is very, very odd to me. You know, but... I reread, I think I read it before. I reread Ebert's review. I do kind of like his review. Like it is a very, like it, it, it's like, it's like it, an enjoyment because of how absurd it is, but it's such like a sarcastic review. It's 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 the kind of like blend between like sincerity and this cutting wit that only Ebert could really master in just six hundred words. Yeah, I recommend reading it. I recommend it more than watching this movie. (laughs) Yeah, I might have to read this. It looks like there was one other positive review from Empire Magazine, and that was it. This did not do well at the box office either it did extremely poorly it grossed 48 million uh 48.6 million and mm-hmm. that's that's on its 160 million dollar budget worldwide it it did a little bit better it, it got almost 116 million but that's still not even close to <laughs> it's still not even close to its budget and that's not even factoring in marketing budget either mm-hmm. so yeah that was a huge disappointment and while I can say that I'm happy I've finished my Yandabont filmography, uh, definitely ended it on a, on a sour note with speed to cruise control. I don't know what I was expecting. Like <laughs> I, I kind of thought to myself, I don't, I don't think it's going to be as bad as everyone says, but then in watching it, I'm just like, Oh my God, is it, why is this not over yet? Yeah. Yeah. It, it is the rare case of a movie considered one of the worst like a place is one of the worst movies where you don't watch it. And it's just like insane, bad choices. It is insane, bad choices, but it doesn't feel like it. It feels like the most boring movie about a out of control ocean liner ever made. Yeah, pretty much. That is insane. Not that it's ridiculous. 
it's that it's boring. I'm sorry, but Jason Patrick is just not a good replacement for Keanu Reeves. No. Like, that's just, he's not a good, he's a very uncharismatic, sort of stiff, kind of this cardboard personality. And he, I don't know. The the comedy in this one didn't land nearly as as well as the the original. You know, like you have the Jeff Daniels character in uh, in the original Speed, and in this you just don't. There's just really nothing. Like the jokes are lame and dumb, and everything everything else in it is uh, it's just a chore to get through. So, uh, what well, I will say, I love that like Eurodance techno-ish remix of the uh, theme from the first speed film over the credits of this one. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of UB40 in this movie too. And a lot of UB40. <laughs> so this is only the, this is the second movie we have talked about in this podcast that has the UB40 cover. I yeah. uh, can't help falling in love in it. And I think it's the third, third time we've referenced it. At least third time we've referenced, referenced it on the show, but certainly not the last. Oh no. We will definitely be coming back to UB40. This is actually the Time UB40 and again. podcast. Time and again, we will be coming back to UB40. You mark my words. <laughs> this isn't a movie podcast. This is the UB40 podcast. We're, we're just subtly inserting UB40 in, and eventually it will take over. Yes. Our last film this month marks the fourth entry in a wildly popular franchise. While it would turn a profit through its worldwide sales, its dismal reception from critics and fans alike caused the series to lay dormant at the cinema for the next eight years. Released on June 20th, 1997, this is Batman and Robin. Of all the dangers you will face, face well. of all the thrills you will experience, no adventure is bigger than Batman and Robin. I'm asking you, friend, partner, Will you help me? Arnold Schwarzenegger, George Clooney, Chris O'Donnell, Uma Thurman, Alicia Silverstone. Partners? Partners. Partners. Batman and Robin. Own it on video and DVD. <sighs> Along with crime fighting partner Robin and new recruit Batgirl, Batman battles the dual threat of frosty genius Mr. Freeze and homicidal horticulturalist. Poison Ivy. Freeze plans to put Gotham City on ice while Ivy tries to drive a wedge between the dynamic duo. Ay, ay, ay. Now, I wanted to say in our review of Speed 2 that a lot of the movies that are talked about as the worst ever made are just really expensive studio movies that are ridiculous. And I wanted to say, Speed 2 fits that because it's boring. This movie is ridiculous, and I was entertained for every second of it. Yeah, man. So, huge Batman fan. Love love everything about Batman. I was a rabid fan of all the movies. I remember I, I really, as a kid, I really liked Batman forever. Even though now as an adult, I recognize that that was certainly not the strongest in the series. But even as a kid, when Batman and Robin came out, I was just like, no, 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 no. And revisiting it now, I, I've seen this not too long ago, actually. And uh, I, I, this is, it's so bad. It's so bad <laughs> on so many levels. Like every, every a- aspect except for one is an utter failure. 
And what the is only the thing, one? The, the one thing is the production design. Yes, I, I think we are maybe not in agreement with uh, too many things about this movie, but we do both agree that the best part of it is the production design. I think every, that every sorry, movie should look like this. It's incredible. Like when you when you see it, you're just like, oh my god! It doesn't fit the Batman lore. Like it it doesn't fit a Batman story. Uh, mm-hmm. The constant bright neon that's everywhere and the very elaborate. I, I, I said that every every set looks like it's a, a Nickelodeon. Uh, a 90s Nickelodeon kids game show. Looks like <laughs> Legends of the Hidden Temple or Guts it or something. It looks like, like a TV show set, like a game show set, or like a really elaborate like stage production. Yeah. I mean, it, the, like the level of detail and the level of, of care that they put into all of these huge, huge elaborate sets. I mean, it's it's really astounding. That's something that I think... I think we've lost that over the years. Mm-hmm. When when we see movies now, it's all done, you know, in post. It's all done. Everything's giant green screen, you know, sets and stuff. And they add everything later. And it might look great. But there's something to be said about handcrafting these crazy detailed sets that I think really holds up over time. That's the good thing I have to say about this movie. Everything else, I think, is a, an utter train wreck from start to finish i don't even know what i if i thought that was bad or good or not because i feel like so much of this movie comes out of the same energy that the sets are built from and as much as i do like many of the you know critically acclaimed superhero movies i can't help but feel that the inherent absurdity of like the way the juxtaposition between the in universe seriousness that superheroes are taken with and the way that it just completely it's simplicity on the most classical level clashes with the way we view our world i feel like there's so much more absurdity in that that you could get away with and kind of play around a bit with more and like before our modern interpretation of superhero movies really came into play yeah i think I think there's something to be said about making a movie intentionally hokey or goofy, you know, sort of harkening back to the like Batman 66 TV show and stuff like that. I mean, that was a very kind of hammy show and it was goofy and fun. But at this point in 1997, we're, we're beyond that. I mean, the, you know, the, this is after like uh, the Frank Miller Batman series in the comics and this is this is after the Burton Batman and that that sort of read that sort of defined how the style of Batman should be and when you go back to that cartoonish <laughs> that, that that cartoonish way where it's just nonstop I mean the whole script the script is like 90% puns and when <laughs> as, you go when you go back be. <laughs> when you go back to that from this like kind of dark brooding, you know, largely colorless world, I think that it is doing the, I think it's doing the franchise a disservice. And I, I think that as a result, you know, I, I feel like you can say a lot in a Batman story and I feel like this movie has nothing to say at all. <laughs> it's just nonstop puns. And 
this script is just so it's just so poorly done and it, it i mean it feels like no one who worked on this movie had any frame of reference to batman at all like nobody kn- really knew anything about the characters or cared they were just like let's just let's make some money i mean i guess we can't uh, expect too much tonal consistency or or uh from the man who would go on to bring us the uh film adaptation of andrew lloyd weber's the phantom of the opera but right i mean if we're talking about i mean looking at joel schumacher as looking at his career i mean he this this dude is like he's he's like a he's a hired gun like he just does whatever i feel like he has little style to him he just does whatever projects come his way i think (laughs) and yet there's so much happening in every frame of this movie like sure you can't say too much about a script that is 94 percent pun and most of them fail but you can say i almost wanted to like pause every like wide shot yeah yeah, I mean, I mean, it is, it is like it's so close to being something I could unironically go to bat for, as like this is a one of a kind movie that deserves credit on its own merits, but it really doesn't make quite enough sense for it to get there. No, I mean, I think that there's a lot of fundamental failures on pretty much every level except the production design. I think that the the characters are poorly developed. I think that. Uh, the 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 plot itself is just very haphazardly thrown together, and the motivations of the people don't make any sense whatsoever. There's no such thing as physics in the in Batman and Robin. Physics has no place in Batman and Robin. Things just fly around willy nilly. Mm-hmm. Like the 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 character of Poison Ivy, I think that casting Uma Thurman was a was a good choice. I think all like. One thing about Batman movies is, you know, you have a really strong cast of villains. And I think for the most part, the movie adaptations uh, have done a really good job in their casting of these villains. And for the most part, the the heroes too. But I think Uma Thurman was a good choice for Poison Ivy. However, they skewed the character in such a way that I don't think fans of, of hers would really like. I mean the first thing she does when she becomes poison ivy is burn down the lab when her whole like platform is that she wants to nurture the plants and help the plants thrive and get rid of humans who are destroying the planet. So what does she do? She burns down a lab that's filled with plants and kills all of them. Like, like clearly, (laughs) clearly people have no idea what they're, what they're doing in this movie. No one does, but at least it's not like some people do and some people don't. Nobody does. At least it's consistent. And then you have, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze, who is supposed to be this like genius scientist, but they make him, and they do make him a scientist in this, but he's more of like a big hulking sort of meathead that, I mean, he has the most puns of anybody, like pun after pun. And so many of them don't even make any sense. Like, like, I can't remember. I can't remember some of the ones that he says, but oh my goodness, they're, they're rough. 
<laughs> I thought all of the effects work was really for for a movie of this budget, which was like a hundred and fifty million dollars back then, two two hundred million adjusted for inflation. I thought a lot of the effects work was really poorly done. I mean that that like mutant plant thing that Ivy creates in the jar. I mean, Little Shop of Horrors looked better, and that was made how many was made like a decade before this movie came out. Oh, it's so bad. They added I, cartoon sound effects to things in I this, mean, too. <laughs> cartoon sound effects. I feel like at some level, for some reason, all of this made some level of sense in my brain, and I was willing to go around with it to a point. But once again, two of my very favorite movies we ever talked about in this podcast are like To Die For and Hocus Pocus. I mean, for very different reasons. And Showgirls. And Showgirls which I do think is a genuinely great uh, satire, as with many of Paul Verhoeven's best movies. So I have a high tolerance for this. I have an extremely high tolerance for the kind of stuff this movie's doing. One of the most egregious things, and this is something I had to actually stop, rewind, and just, just verify that I saw it correctly, was the scene when Robin gets... Uh, he So he kisses Ivy... But he has this like latex stuff on his on his lips, so he doesn't get poisoned by her. And then she just pushes him into this pool, and they show him popping up out of the pool, and then they reverse the shot and show him going back in the pool. And it's so obvious. And it's like, why did you do that? <laughs> like, did you see it? Because I told you to look yeah. out for it. I think I did. I think I think I know what you're talking about. They he pops out of the water and then they literally rewind it and he goes back in and then they like five minutes later they they show the same exact shot again with him popping out of the water. That could cause a slight continuity error. <laughs> I mean, it was a huge. I was just like, what is going on here? Oh, uh, the one line that I really liked that that Chris O'Donnell said. Uh, Chris O'Donnell, horrible horrible robin just not he has no place in this in this movie i think that alicia silverstone was also miscast as batgirl even though she's like completely underutilized and she didn't really even need to be in the movie at all they did so little with her character in this i mean she she just appeared and then occasionally she would pop up again but like almost so seldomly chris o'donnell says to Ivy at one point, he goes, is your thumb the only part of you that's green? <laughs> and I'm just like, oh my God. <laughs> Kidding me? There's a pretty sweet hacking scene because it turns out that uh, Alicia Silverstone's character, Barbara, who's not Barbara Gordon, um, as many people know, was the actual, is the Batgirl in like all of the other Batman stories. For some reason, they decided to make her the niece of Alfred in this movie. And there's, yeah, sure. Let's just completely change all the characters, whatever. There's a hacking scene. She hacks into this computer and it's so ridiculous how there's like the images that are like flashing up in front of her face. And then she <laughs> discovered, and then the, the final thing is like a giant Batman symbol mm-hmm. that pops up on the screen. And she's like, Oh, he's Batman. And then they just give her a suit and she's, she's just Batgirl. She's on the team just like that. 
Uh, costume designs were horrible. Were great. No. <laughs> I mean, specifically the heroes, the hero designs were horrible. I, I will say that I thought that some of the costumes that Ivy had were good. Uh, mm-hmm. Specifically the scene when it's like sort of that like song and dance number where, where she's like, it's like that auction. And first of all, what's going on in this auction? They're like, are they auctioning off women? Is that what's happening in this auction? Cause it seems really skeezy. I mean, it's hard to tell what's happening. Once again, I feel like that's a recurring theme in this episode. It's hard to tell what's happening. Yeah, I think they were auctioning off women. We'll just say that. Yeah, that's not that's not good. And uh, she she shows up and does this like whole song and dance number for some reason, and everybody's like loving her because of her her musk <laughs> that that makes men love her. Mm-hmm. I liked her. I liked her costume in that scene. I thought Bane looked. Bane looked pretty bad. I think most people probably forget that Bane's even in this movie because he just, he's relegated to like a henchman in it. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, they take care of him pretty quickly. Oh my God. It's just so bad. <laughs> There's a scene that, so at some point, Mr. Freeze believes that his wife is dead and he decides that he's going to freeze the whole city of Gotham. So he goes to this like telescope. It's a completely thing. reasonable pursuit. <laughs> yeah. So he goes to this telescope thing and he's like trying to, I guess, make, turn it into like a freeze ray. And they keep showing him type on this computer, this, this keyboard. This is the weirdest looking keyboard I've ever seen in my life. It's like, this is not a, a QWERTY, a, a standard QWERTY keyboard that we're it's dealing com- with here. It's the keyboard to the computer that gave Willem Dafoe copper poisoning and speed to cruise <laughs> yeah, control. It's, <laughs> it's just like random letters. On this on this keyboard, it's like, come on, you can't you can't at least get like a real keyboard in here, and then the whole like McGregor syndrome thing. <laughs> so, Mister Freeze's wife has McGregor syndrome, and that's why she's she's been frozen, and he's looking for a cure. And for some reason, he needs diamonds. He's just stealing up all these diamonds for a cure to McGregor syndrome. And guess what? Turns out, Alfred has McGregor syndrome, stage one. And they were like, oh, it's not as bad as, as Mr. Freeze's wife. He only has stage one, but like halfway through the movie, he's practically dead. He's like, it's like, dude, what, what, what does stage four look like? If stage one has you on your deathbed <laughs> stage four, you just melt or something. But, uh, eventually after Batman, you know, foils the plans of Mr. Freeze, he, he, captures him and he's like hey you need to do a good thing here and and i got a buddy who has mcgregor syndrome can you stage one can you cure it and he pops open his arm uh thing and there's like two vials in it and he's like just you guys take two and call me in the morning and it's like what he's walking around with the two vials of mcgregor syndrome cure in his arm don't you all, all day and all night what just in case like just in case i get that mcgregor syndrome oh uh, yeah you know. also i noticed that at one point his mouth starts randomly glowing blue it, it doesn't glow in the beginning of the movie and then towards the end it starts to glow blue for some reason hmm. not sure why that is I could go on Listen, and on. There's all kinds of lights and colors that things are glowing in this 
movie. I'd yeah. say don't question it. Just enjoy the fact that this is one of the best looking movies maybe ever made. This is the only movie that should be the template for how movies should look. Yeah, the Batcave is just has so many lasers in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's just lasers upon lasers in the Batcave in this movie. <laughs> so many lasers. There's uh, it. Why don't we just have more decorative lasers in movies now? I also noticed there were an inordinate amount of magnifying glasses in this movie. They were just like, like, like the computer that Robin was using has this like giant magnifying glass uh, thing on it. And it's, it's in like, case you have to read small print on the computer. <laughs> it's like, you can't make it bigger. I mean, it, no. maybe you need to get contacts or something. You need this giant magnifying glass attached mm-hmm. to your computer. <laughs> There's settings for that. I mean, he, he's like, computer enhance 149 and it like knew exactly where where to enhance but it doesn't know how to like make the font bigger mm-hmm. <laughs> computer font size 14 Arial, please <laughs> he just types in as a as a as a prompt. make it so i can see it <laughs> time frame now time frame now oh my god maybe we should also in the growing list of specials that we episodes we should do movies about 90s understanding of what computers are oh yeah i i really want to do a a technology episode Mm -hmm. really really want to do because i mean that's that's something i'm passionate about to begin with and Mm -hmm. i love i love old tech so yes it will be done you're not selling me on Batman and Robin. I feel like you're loving this movie and I don't, I don't know I don't... if I'm loving it. I just feel like for as bad as for as nonsensical as it is, I had I I got a lot out of watching it and I don't know if I'm ready to figure out why. But it starts with a production sign and then it gets to it is a movie that is completely off the unhinged, but it is consistently unhinged. It is not a movie that is like afraid of what it's trying to be. It's not like backing itself up. It is full throttle. This is Joel Schumacher's Batman and Robin. I don't. I still haven't figured out what Joel Schumacher's style is, as you were saying earlier. But whatever it is, or whatever the script is, it is never not one thousand percent of it. And I kind of admire that way. It's just. It is a completely brazen viewing viewing experience. Yeah, it is. That is that is true. I don't know. I'm still figuring it out as we're going along. Like, <laughs> I need to rewatch this sometime. Uh, currently on IMDb, this is number sixty five on the most bottom ranked movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me try. Let me try again. Like. So Speed 2, I wanted to, like I said, I specifically made that comparison to juxtapose against this movie. Speed 2 is a bad movie, and it is a very, because it is a very boring movie, among other things. Batman and Robin never bored me. Like, I can't reasonably say it achieves what it is trying to achieve, but I feel like one of the problems is you're not exactly sure what it's trying to achieve. But I feel like if you start creating hypothesis, hy- like a hypothesis of what this movie is trying to be, it does get close. Now, the problem is you have to go through the entire scientific method to figure out what this movie is trying to be. But <laughs> I do enjoy a movie, like a major studio, like big budget movie that is such a brazenly singular experience. 
like nobody was reeling this in. No, it was uh, a lot of decisions were made mm-hmm. with this movie, and a lot of a lot of things happened. And uh, the end product is uh, it's something else. It is is definitely something else. I'm still trying to figure out what I thought of it. It's gonna take me a few. It's gonna take me a while. Well, my, I watched this earlier today. My opinions are very solid, and I think mm-hmm. it is absolutely atrocious. Yeah, I think way. I think it's also because I had spent you know so much time you know just my entire life basically people talk about this as one of the worst most unredeemable movies ever made, and then I'm watching it and I'm like, as someone who just saw Speed Two Cruise Control earlier this weekend, hang on a second here. I think this is worse than Speed Two. By far, I think in terms of the value of the viewing experience, I got a lot more out of it than okay. I was I, I waiting will, for. Yes, I will agree that Speed Two is more boring than Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin is is not boring. I will mm-hmm. I will agree with that. But just uh, the the value proposition of Batman and Robin is still very low for me. This uh this grossed 107 million dollars the box office in the US. Now overseas it so the worldwide gross it did seemingly make its money back. It it uh, pulled in 238 million on a 125 million dollar budget. So it's pro- yeah, but- it probably I mean usually you know they say double double the yeah. budget for uh-huh. marketing. Mm-hmm. So and I mean, I can't, I can't imagine that, you know, based on the success of the other Batman films, they were terribly pleased in any case with this just topping out at, uh, in like the mid 200s. And, the, and also it does factor in that I think reputation and reception is still important in determining the success of a big, success of a big movie like this. There is like a cynical way to say it could be anything. And if it makes X amount of money it'll be taken well, but just the reception of this movie was just so lethal that no matter how much it made, if it just, if it just like somehow had a 2019 style, like front loaded, made all the money on weekend one, it still wouldn't have been enough to save its reputation. And we didn't see a live action, another live action Batman movie since, since uh, Nolan's Batman begins. Mm -hmm. And that was in 2005. In fact, we didn't. This was during a time when we weren't really seeing superhero movies. Like the superhero genre was pretty much dead. I don't. I don't know if this movie can be credited with killing it, but I didn't help. It certainly didn't help. I. I feel like we didn't get another superhero movie. I mean, maybe Raimi's Spider-Man in 2001. I mean, I'm sure there were maybe some other ones, but that's mm-hmm. like the the next big one that I can think of. But yeah, I mean, it this this was uh this bombed pretty pretty big. Oh pretty yeah, big. Mm-hmm. yeah, and it and it really crushed the idea of the uh, superhero movie. Or I guess maybe X Men. When did X Men come out? Two thousand. Mm-hmm. That was probably the, that was the next big one. Yeah, it it certainly didn't do. It it, it I'd say it. Now, with more perspective, we can say it, it it killed a phase of the superhero movie and a particular stage of the superhero movie. Yeah, and I think it also made it, it, it put uh, 
sort of a shroud yeah. over the superhero movie. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, this, like it, it had as a genre had to com- essentially like reinvent itself. Right. I mean, it was sort of the superhero genre was sort of regarded like the video game movie back then where they were all pretty much garbage. Like people thought that they were not good. And even the ones that were maybe entertaining were not necessarily critically acclaimed movies that, that, that all would, you know, obviously as history shows that that changed, but at the time, yeah, Batman and Robin mm-hmm. just crushing the genre. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Any final thoughts on Batman and Robin before we close it out this month? I'm still trying to figure out why I had a weird like of this movie, like not even a like, just a fascination with it that I still don't know. It's 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 like a big puzzle for me. I'm I'm still working on my thoughts. Uh, uh, it's I gonna think, haunt me for a while. I think there's something to be said about hate watching this movie. I, because... I wasn't hate watching it though. Like that. Like I I thought maybe mm. that's what it is, but it wasn't at the same time because I really was trying to get into the headspace of what is this movie trying to achieve? Because whatever it is, it seems to be uniformly agreeing on what it wants to be, even if what it wants to be is completely mind boggling. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, I think that you could watch this on this. This could be a, a so bad. It's good mm-hmm. uh, category. Yeah. But, like, but, but you're I saying, I don't know if that's where I am either. Yeah. You're, is, you're like saying you genuinely liked it. So I, yeah, I this, this is about, this is, this one's about being, this is about me being very confused. Give it another watch. And mm-hmm. a see. little bit down the line. Watch it again tonight and see. <laughs> <laughs> then let me know. Uh, uh, I'm th- I, th- I think that might be uh, a tad much. <laughs> Twice in one day. <laughs> oh, man. I just love Batman and Robin so much. Watch yeah. Twice Uh-oh. in one day. Fi- I finally figured it out. It took two watches in one day, but I finally cracked the code of Batman and Robin. <laughs> That'd be funny because you're probably the you'd probably be the only person in existence to watch that movie twice in one day, <laughs> and maybe there's there's something there. Yeah, in, including the the editors of the film. Yeah. Oh, we'll just reverse that. We need him to go back under the water. Just put that in reverse. Just hit the rewind button. Boom, uh-huh. done. He's back in the water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, and that the tear the 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 when when uh, he was crying at the end and the tear froze on his face and it looks so bad and fake mm-hmm. oh my god i could just yeah. keep i could go on and on about this movie and all of I, I have so many nitpicks but i think that there's a lot of like broad problems with it too mm-hmm. anyway i think that's gonna do it for this month thank you so much for listening if you have a moment please consider reviewing us on itunes that would be extremely helpful for daily 90s goodness, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at 90s Pod. We'll be back next month with some steamy summer movies. But until then, for Ken Bakley, my name's Adam Patterson, and this has been Say by the 90s. Bye, everyone. Bye.